0: The with your host, DJ Rome. Hey, welcome to the program, everybody. You just stepped inside of Psychotic Bomb School, the place where education and entertainment meet. At the intersection of funk and soul, my name is DJ Rome, and I want to welcome you to another exciting edition of Psychotic Bump School. On this national championship night, so ladies and gentlemen, tonight, <laughs> oh yeah, it's a lot going on, y'all. Gonzaga and Baylor are going for the the gold, if you know what I mean. And uh, hey. It's what people have been craving for for the last couple of years. So, the championship night is here if you're into NC2A basketball. But check this out there's a whole lot of other things happening around our nation, and we're going to be talking about it tonight on Psychotic Bump School. We're going to be talking about the Derek Chauvin trial. We're going to be talking about the voter suppression bill that's happening in Georgia. And we're going to be talking about a whole host of other things as well. And I am very excited. The future guest this evening is going to be my good brother, Mr. A. Scott Galloway okay anytime mr galloway's in the house you know you're in for uh, for something really special and tonight is no different uh we're we're paying tribute though special that it is we're paying a somber tribute to bb dickerson okay bb dickerson is one of the original members and bass players and songwriters and singers of the band war all right war is a legendary california band responsible for some of the funkiest cuts you'll you'll ever hear uh, slipping into darkness why can't we be friends galaxy uh, lowrider just to name a few Um, and of course the world is a ghetto so we're going to be having some war stories with my good brother Mr. A Scott Galloway and it's an amazing conversation and I can't wait to share that with you so you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off so this is KCWG, thetruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We're going to kick off our show after this.
1: Now, DMX lawyer says that he is currently surrounded by family and he is in still what people are considering grave condition. Now, the attorney also confirmed that DMX is indeed off of life support is still alive. I repeat, the attorney says that DMX is off of life support, but still alive. Roll it.
0: He's being in the hospital as a result of a heart attack. He has been taken off life support system and he's breathing on his own. But we are concerned. It would be dis- disingenuous for me to suggest that I'm not a worried man at this particular point. Earl Simmons, DMX, in my opinion, is one of the great poets of our time. And what he had to say, if people bother to listen and they can overcome their hostility to rap, would learn a great deal oh slips and the i can't get up hey yo, i'm and
2: the fall i can't get up hey yo, i'm and the fall i got to get up get back on my feet so i can taste hey yo, i'm and the fall i can't get up hey yo, i'm slipped and the fall i can't get up hey yo, i'm and the fall i got to get up Doing my first big Back on the scene at 14 With a scheme To get more green Than I'd ever seen In a dream And by all means I will be living High off the hog And I never gave a fuck About much But my dog That's the only one f- I'd head off in my last Just another little Headed nowhere fast Ayo hey, I'm slipping I'm falling I can't get up Ayo hey, I'm slipping I'm falling I can't get up Ayo hey, I'm, I'm, hey, I'm slipping I'm falling I got to get up Get back on my feet So I can tear shit. Hey, Ayo I'm slipping I'm falling I can't get up, ayo, hey, I'm slippin', I'm falling I can't get up, hey, yo I'm slippin', I'm falling I got to get up, getting back on my feet so I can tear That ain't the half It uh, gets worse as I get older uh-huh. Actions become bolder Heart got cold, uh-huh. chip on my shoulder That I didn't, uh-huh. did touch Didn't need a click, cause I scared it uh-huh. that much Went oh. deep, with the b**** starting uh-huh. For kicks, catching vicks, when bricks uh-huh. Getting by, being slick uh-huh. Used to get high, just to get by Used to have to ball in the morning, before I get fly, I ate something. Couple of forties, Made me hate something. After some p- now I'm ready to take some. Three years later, showing signs of stress. Didn't keep my hair cut or give a f- how I dress. I'm possessed by the darker side, living the cruddy life. Like this, kept a n with a bloody knife. Wanna make records, but I'm, hold up. I'm slipping, I'm falling, I can't get up. Hey, yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I can't get up. Hey, yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I can't get up. Hey, yo, I'm slipping. Got to get up, get back on my feet so I can tear. the on I'm slipping, i I can't get up, hey, on I'm i falling. I can't get up, hey, on I'm slipping, i falling. I got to get up, get back on my feet so I can tear. Wasn't long before I hit rock bottom. Like, damn, look how that, how that got open. Like a window, no more endo. Look at a video, say to myself, that could have been yo. It's on the TV, believe me. Could be done, Something got to give, got to change this. Now I got a son. I got to do the right thing for Shorty, and that means no more getting high, drinking forty. So I get back looking tight, slick again. Fake, jump back on my again. Nothing but love for those that know how it feel, and much respect to all my Capitales. You strong, kept a from doing wrong. Is, and this is your f- song, and to my boat, who stuck with it I do All the boat, you'll get yours because it's dope. Hey, and your own slips, the fall. I can't get up, and hey, your own slips, never fall. I can't get up, and hey, your own slips, the fall. I got to get up, get back on my feet so I can tear. Hey, your slips, fall. I can't get up, and hey, your own slips, the fall. I can't get up, and you're slips, the fall. I got to get up, get back on my feet so I can tear. This
0: is- KCWG, TheTruth.com. This is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, we are coming off of a holiday weekend of sorts. Easter weekend is behind us, y'all. And wow, what a memorable week in the world of politics and entertainment and sports. Oh, my God. So much to talk about. Uh, how about the news about DMX? Oh, my goodness. Um, by the time you hear this, I hope we have a resolution to that. Uh, vegetative state over the weekend after a, a heart attack for the good brother DMX, legendary rapper. Uh, let's see how he's doing by the time you hear this, y'all. Uh, prayers are out for that brother. And of course, uh, the Derek Chauvin trial in Minneapolis, that's created a huge spectacle across the news cycle this past week. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. And of course, the ongoing struggle with voting rights uh, happening primarily right now in the state of Georgia. But what I wanna focus on in this first segment, I mean, uh, the, 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 the Derek Chauvin trial to where uh, this is the officer or former officer, I should say, who is uh, finally facing trial for the murder of George Floyd that sparked numerous protests all over the world, literally all over the world and there have been witness testimonies that have been very compelling. Now, I'm not gonna lie to you. You know, I work in mental health, ladies and gentlemen. So I, for the sanctity of my own mental health, I'm not watching it live. I mean, first of all, I'm working, that's one. Two, it's too triggering. And when I say triggering, it takes me right back to May 25th, 2020, when this story first dropped, that this man did not have to go out like that. And the force used against George Floyd, of course, uh, was excessive, unnecessary. And the prosecution right now is presenting that very case. And what is unique about this case right now, ladies and gentlemen, is that you have a unique feature that is rarely uh present in these types of uh trials you know you have police officers that have come out against one of their own uh ranging from the uh supervising officer who has said that uh what he saw uh derek chauvin do was excessive and when it was clear that george floyd was unresponsive he should have then uh ended or terminated the restraint uh he said that and then you have Uh, other witnesses other expert witnesses in law enforcement who said said and testified under oath in court live on television that the use of force was excessive and unnecessary and so that is rare and I think people will be hard-pressed to find another trial to where uh, that has occurred and so you have Teenagers that were there and present that day, from people who were recording it with their recording devices, the arrest and uh, subsequent seizure of George Floyd, and emotional testimony from elders. And uh, his ex girlfriend actually testified as well, and uh, in an attempt to humanize him, and she shared how loving he was toward her. And, um, you know, it, th- The defense has yet to present their case, but of course they're gonna do everything they can to poke holes in all of this very, very compelling testimony. And the prosecution is playing that video or those videos. Uh, There are multiple videos uh, that they've been showing from various perspectives of the witnesses that were there and present at the time. And so they are trying to drill home that uh, there were ample opportunities for them to uh, change their tactics, change their tactics uh, with the emergence and the, the obvious uh, indicators that George Floyd was no longer responsive. Okay, so uh, that trial is going on um, and it's, it's terrible that people have to relive it. Uh, like I said, you know, to, in protection of and defense of my mental health, I, I'm not watching it. Um, but I mean, I've been reading the stories though. I mean, the MMA fighter who uh, actually called police uh, while he was right there on the spot because he felt like he was witnessing a murder and he was just, in real time, they captured his call uh, to a 911 dispatch. You know, there was police officers already on the scene and he felt so unsafe and uh, possessed such a lack of faith that he reporting to them and trying to appeal to their humanity was going to make any difference. He bypassed the people that were there and made a 911 call on the cops that were already on the scene arresting George Floyd. Okay. And it turned out that it, it, you know, 846 was the, the length of time that was long out there. It turns out that he was restrained for nine minutes and 29 seconds, even longer than what we thought. Okay. So a lot have been A lot has been revealed and will continue to be revealed in the coming weeks. And again, like I said, the defense is yet to present their case. They're going to do everything they can to discredit and dehumanize George Floyd. All they have to do is prove uh, their case by a reasonable doubt. And all they have to do is get one juror out of 12. One! See, this is why the the, the bar is so high uh, that is required to convict these cops. And that's why it makes a difference which administration is in the White House because the Democrats and Joe Biden um, are far more in favor of holding police officers accountable, police officers accountable compared to Republicans. And I know that there is a progressive voice amongst the, the the left strain of the electorate that wants to defund the police. Well, Democrats are against qualified immunity and qualified immunity Qualified immunity is what is protecting police officers right now because there is always a presumption of uh, all they have to do is you know, like express that, that tenet of being fearful of their lives and they're always given the benefit of the doubt, okay, and they're protected. So being able to do something with qualified immunity is something that this dem- democratic administration under Joe Biden is looking into, and it will address issues such as this. There's this incredibly impossible standard to reach to where all you have to do is insert a little bit of doubt in one juror out of 12, and then you have to convict with a unanimous uh, jury. I mean, and you know, ladies and gentlemen, I am I, I am not an expert in law. You know, this is these are all things that I'm reading, and I know that what I'm saying is subject to uh f- being fact checked or whatever by legal experts and people who really do practice law. I do not practice law, but I'm reading up on these things and it just concerns me how easily it is for police officers to you know get off you know even with blatantly obvious evidence such as what's being presented right now in this case. Oh man, but this is KCWG the truth.coms program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome and uh I'm just ranting about the week in politics and just getting caught up with y'all about some of the latest things I've been seeing. I mean, that's the Derek Chauvin trial. How about what's happening with voting rights? You got all of these major institutions now, Delta Airlines, Coca-Cola and Major League Baseball all saying to Brian Kemp in Georgia, the governor of Georgia saying, "No, nah, player, you got to give access fairly to all citizens so that they have an equal opportunity to vote. They are passing, or have passed, uh, a very restrictive voting rights bill that wants to strip power away from the Secretary of State so that all of the power of elections moves from the Secretary of State to a, a, a legislator, a legislative body. Now, of course, of course, Republicans are arguing that they're actually expanding the right to vote. They're they're, they're claiming that they have to do something in order to restore election integrity so that people won't feel like the the election wasn't secure and safe, okay? Now, mind you, this is coming on the heels of Republican legislators, Republican officials, Republicans under the previous administration under uh, 45, you know, that disastrous administration. All of those entities have publicly declared, including the FBI director, that the 2020 election that saw Joe Biden spank the snot out of Donald Trump was actually the most secure in history. And that doesn't just cover voting, ladies and gentlemen, that covers also a foreign intervention, because we know how pervasive that was in the 2016 election with all the help that 45 got from that. And Trump doesn't want to admit that it made any difference, but he had a lot of help to win in 2016. And they called the 2020 election, they meaning Republican officials, you know, people that are not lifelong Democrats, Republican officials have declared and decried that the 2020 election was perhaps the most secure in history. Okay? And Republicans can't stand that. All right? Because ladies and gentlemen, I um, <laughs> bear with me for a second. I also watched uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Now, that's a guy thing. You know, I know there's a lot of ladies out there that are listening and I know that guys have their, their thing. They like their toys or whatever. But, you know, some of us grew up watching Godzilla. And I have to blame my mother for that. You know, it's like, I didn't know nothing about no Godzilla. I was raised by a single mother and grandmother, grew up with sisters in the house. And had they not turned to these monster movies, I would have known nothing about no Godzilla. But thank God for mom, you know, thank God for mom. You know, those monster movies provided or provided that is a form of escapism that it made these monsters seem real. But let's talk about what's real, because the premise of Godzilla, and spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm not gonna critique the movie, I'm not going to uh, break down the movie in terms of uh, the plot line or whatever, but actually, uh, I am gonna speak to this a little bit because it's very important. Because this also connects to what's happening in Georgia with all this voter suppression, which is why Democrats passed uh, the the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act in the House, and now it's over in the Senate, and they're kicking that around to see if the democrats can uh... stick together in the senate because you need all fifty of them plus kamala harris in order to get that passed but that remains to be seen but here's the problem uh... with the voting rights at and not the voting rights act, but what what republicans are trying to do or tried to do in georgia the problem is right inside of the godzilla vs kong movie <laughs> hey i'm serious the problem with What's happening in Georgia with voting and this bill, this repressive bill full of voter restrictions against communities of color in Georgia, the problem is right inside of the Godzilla versus Kong movie. So ladies and gentlemen, pay attention. I'ma tell you what's going down. All right, Uh, the plot line, and again, spoiler alert. So if you don't, uh, if you plan to watch Godzilla versus Kong, Put this on pause right now, cause I'm about to do a spoiler here. All right, so it turns out the villain in Godzilla vs. Kong was not Godzilla, it wasn't Kong, it was Mecha Godzilla. All right, so for those of you that grew up watching these films, Mecha Godzilla appeared in the early '70s or whatever, and uh, it was a ploy to uh, create sort of a, a predator on Earth that could take down the mighty Mighty Godzilla. Well. Uh, of course, um, this, this modern version of uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, the company in the movie is called Apex, and you can find all this on TechRadar.com. You can find all of this there. But uh, what they aspire to do, the company in the film is called Apex. All right, Apex Cybernetics. So the whole purpose behind why they created Mecha Godzilla was they wanted humanity, they wanted humanity to have a way to combat Godzilla just in case he ever turned on them. Now check this out. This is very important, y'all. This is important. I'm telling you, this connects directly to what's happening in Georgia. So let let me say that again. Apex in the movie Godzilla vs Kong created Mechagodzilla so that humanity would have a way to combat Godzilla if it ever turned on them. It, however, is a stupid idea on their part, given that Godzilla has left humanity alone since the end of the previous movie Godzilla King of the Monsters but there's always somebody looking to take advantage of a situation okay that's not me saying that that's uh, on techrader.com that breaks down a lot of science fiction movies and they have uh, done their part to break down this Godzilla versus Kong thing but just just listen to this it's a stupid idea on their part given that Godzilla has left humanity alone has left humanity alone. So what they're saying is there's really no need for a Mecha Godzilla with, with the premise that he could turn on them but there's no evidence that he ever, that he ever has okay There's not sufficient evidence that he ever has. So Godzilla versus Kong is is, is dealing with this issue of the necessity to, to solve to, to, cre- to create a solution in search of a problem that doesn't even exist. OK, that's what Republicans are doing in Georgia right now. You see how this works? They're trying to create a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. Their whole premise for wanting to change the, the way people vote in Georgia is built upon the big lie that they were somehow cheated in the 2020 election, as if Trump didn't actually get his butt handed to him by Joe Biden, the one that they thought was sleepy Joe, the one they thought was incompetent, the one that they kept playing around and saying he had dementia. Do you know how stupid it look makes them look? That they lost to somebody that they've deemed to be so weak and ineffective and of such diminished mental capacity that he had no chance. And that's the guy y'all lost to. That's the guy that put y'all in a political chokehold. That's the guy you can't defeat, who you underestimated so badly that you're embarrassed to the hilt that he beat the crap out of you to the point that you're now creating these uh, these revenge tactics through legislation. They're passing a bill based upon the the idea and the notion that there were superior or sufficient voting irregularities okay it doesn't exist because as i have mentioned before republican legislators were telling them that this was the most secure election in history okay so why change the rules at all these are the rules that were created by republicans in the first place so voters took advantage of the same rules that republicans have been taking advantage of for years decades And because there was a massive voter participation and they got fewer votes than the Democrats, they all mad. Okay, they're mad. That's all it is. They mad because they lost. They lost by Democrats playing by rules that they created. They being Republicans. Okay? They beat them at their own game. Okay? They closed over two hundred and fourteen polling stations for some reason in Georgia. In Georgia alone, you know, and that's all because, you know, that dates back to 2013. I won't be able to get into all that uh, during this rant right here. But all that dates back to 2013 when uh, in a 5-4 decision, the Supreme Court gutted the uh, portion of the Voting Rights Act. OK, and that's why it was so important to get uh, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff in during the runoff election back in January so that they could have a chance to pass the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Because part of it is connected to this whole thing with voting rights but there's a voting rights uh piece of legislation that they need to pass they need to just straight out pass the john lewis voting rights act that's sitting in congress right now okay and now that mitch mcconnell is no longer the senate majority leader they got a chance to pass that but the democrats have to stick together they got to get joe manchin in line they got to keep Kristen cinema in line who's in arizona they got to keep their caucus together in order to get these things through. But this is why though, and this is why elections matter. For all those people that say, oh, voting doesn't mean anything, voting doesn't count, you're not participating in a system that's really gonna do anything for you by voting. Okay, well, here you are again. The test is right in front of you. It matters. And again, by the way, okay, I'm, I'm sick of this one too. Black voters are not tripping about voter ID, okay? Not to the degree that Republicans think Okay, because people say, "What's wrong with having a voter ID?" What's 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 wrong with having a an ID? Okay, well, nothing. All right, but the problem is, if you close these government uh, offices where a specific form of official identification is issued, that's a problem. Okay, so if you want people to have this ID, remember there's a cost variable involved in that too. You know, some people are struggling. Some people can't afford to get uh, ID and some people, you know, they in some areas, some jurisdictions, they require a birth certificate. Well, you got to pay to get a birth certificate, too, in order to get the ID that, you know, that they say is official enough. But here's the interesting thing. How come in certain states in the country where they will allow you to vote with uh, 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 a concealed weapon ID? Okay, I guess. I mean, I'm not into guns like that but you can actually show your concealed carry id and vote in certain areas in those same areas though you can't even show your student id both of them got your picture and name on it so why all the the fuss okay but when they make it harder for people to vote and it's this applies to republicans too i mean they're they're tripping off of the same thing and so The idea is that they keep making it more difficult. They want to criminalize people getting water in line um, in Georgia. They're making it a crime to even hand out water, okay? That's how crazy and ridiculous this is. What's that got to do with voting? They're trying to discourage people from voting. They want people to get frustrated and tired and not stand in those long lines, okay? And they claim that they're actually expanding voting rights by adding days of the week despite the fact that they were trying to attack souls to the polls, which a lot of uh, black people uh, take advantage of on Sundays to vote. And they claim that, you know, there's there's all they're trying to do is uh, make, you know, extend the hours, but they're not, you know, they're making drop boxes uh, less accessible uh, for fewer hours of the day. So all this stuff and, you know, Republicans want to go through the the, the, the line items that say, well, no, that's not in the bill. That's not in the bill anymore. Well, that's what they tried to do. And anything that's not in the bill now, uh, they got it taken out. They had to because people like Delta Airlines, Coca-Cola have been speaking out. And the biggest blow thus far as of this recording, the biggest blow thus far is Major League Baseball said, no, nah, we ain't even going to hold not only the the, the all star game that was scheduled to happen in Atlanta this year, all right, They're not going to even hold the draft. They were going to also hold the draft in uh, Georgia for Major League Baseball. So all of that's gone now. So that's money that and revenue that would have been coming into that city and state that's not going to be there now, all because they want to be super restrictive and, you know, Jim Crowish with this this issue of voting, which they deny up and down as even being a thing. They won't even acknowledge it. So I'm saying we have to stay vigilant. We got to stay on top of this stuff, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, we gonna keep pressing on. But we 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 have to keep our eye on the sparrow and eye on the prize. We we will not allow this to go down. This is your girl Reese, and you're listening to DJ Rome on Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul.
2: And we have some breaking news out of Los Angeles. Bassist BB Dickerson from the group War and Eric Burden and War has passed away. B.B. Dickerson, of course, was on stage with Eric Burden and War during Jimi Hendrix's final appearance at Ronnie Scott's Club in London. B.B. Dickerson, dead at age 71.
3: I wanna make it real funky for you Make a little beat, nothing simple Nothing fancy, wanna make it simple And funky for you I Listen to my beat, it's a beat I listen to my heartbeat is beating real fucking. I listen to my heartbeat is beating real fucking. Bring in the bass and play it funky. Bring in the bass and play it funny. i play it, funky, for me, BB. play it, funky, funky, funky. Play it funky, BB. play it, funky, play it funky, fucking I'll bring it on down. I listen to my bass, man, play it funky. His name is BB. Funk fucking funky, BB. Play it real funky for me. Listen to the
0: KCWG, the truth.com's program called Psychotic Bum School. I'm DJ Rome, and we are off to the races, ladies and gentlemen. We got our good brother back here. We just had a tremendous loss in the world of funk and soul and jazz and Latin music. A Southern California great has just made his transition, y'all. We've had a few in the last few weeks. And though I haven't done musical tributes on Psychotic Bump School in a minute, uh, these stories are always near and dear to my heart and to always keep us abreast upon these very developments is our next guest right here. You guys know this brother. He's a absolute genius of a music journalist and drummer right from Southern California. You've known him from appearances on TV's uh, Unsung, that's TV One's Unsung. And the good brother has joined us multiple times on this program. So I would like to welcome him back. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to *Psychotic Bump School, our good brother, Mr. A. Scott Galloway. Mr. Galloway, are you there?
1: Always in full effect. What's going
0: on, Brother Rome? Oh, like I'll be sure in full effect mode. I'm doing all right, good brother, man. Uh, we lost B.B. Dickerson, the bass player of the funk band War. And man, when I saw your announcement about that, my heart sank, man. My heart sank. I mean, when you talk about Southern California funk lore, I mean, war is it. I mean, they they are such an amalgam of the Southern California experience and musically, stylistically, they just took the the entity of funk music to entirely different places. Good brother, Scott, they took it all the way to the galaxy. So, (laughs) uh, brother, what can you tell us about uh, what you know about B.B. Dickerson? Uh, I'm really fascinated because I love this band, man. Uh, What can you tell us, uh, Mr. A. Scott Galloway?
1: Phoebe was, actually, every element of war, all of the original seven members of war uh, were uh, all singular, excellent, and uh, unfortunately, criminally unsung musicians, Um, you know, for them collectively to not uh, be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and and uh, and such is yes. really a crime, man. Um, yep. And, and other, I mean, they've they've had a very long uh, battle of trying to get in there, but you know their their story is rife with uh, all kind of issues with their uh, their producer who owns the name of the group, and uh, which is why you know several members of the band now have to go under the the alternate name, the Lowrider Band, uh, right as their original uh, producer or one of their original producers, uh, Jerry Goldstein, (coughs) owns War. So when, just to get this out of the way right up front, you know, anybody that goes to see War, the band that has the name War, uh, they are not seeing War. What they are seeing is original member Lonnie Jordan on keyboards and vocals with a whole bunch of other, you know, I think uh, much younger Cats, you know, um, I don't want to disparage Lonnie. He's an incredible musician and one of the original, what I call the Magnificent Seven. Right. But um, if you really want to get the true vibration of, of what we have left uh, of the band War that is still touring and performing, you want to see Lowrider Band, which consists of Howard Scott on guitar, Harold Brown on drums, uh, the, the beloved Lee Oscar on harmonica, and uh, up until uh, a couple of days ago, BB Dickerson, uh, you know, on bass. Now he hadn't been playing with the band for, for several years because he had a stroke, series of strokes actually, which okay. sidelined him from the group. But you know, he was always, you know, uh, considered spiritually a member. And um, and you know, the other two members that passed away many years ago were Charles Miller. On saxophone flute, you know, I mean he was he was that's a whole nother episode we have to do on Charles Man. Uh, really wish I could have met him. and uh, and the great Papa the Allen, who was their percussionist and and you know, Godfather incarnate, you know, he was much older than the other guys. and
0: oh, okay.
1: He was a real great leader. But, um, yeah, man, two days ago, at ten a m in the morning, um, we lost B.B. Dickerson. I, I had the extreme pleasure of speaking with Howard Scott yesterday, and he broke it down for me in a very beautiful way. He said, You know, when the silent drums come, or when you hear the silent drums, you know, just listen. And he said that, um, you know, B.B. died on the same day he died on his mother's birthday. And so he felt. Wow her spirit came and got him. I think it was either his mother or his grandmother. It was one of the two, um, you know, came and got him on her birthday because he had basically been in a home and um, it had gotten to the point where he, I don't think he was able to really communicate much. I don't know if he was talking much or anything like that. He was just, you know, he was just here. And um, uh, it's a shame, man, because his, musicianship, his bass playing uh, really anchored war. You know, he and Harold Brown, the drummer, you know, they had a serious, very unique lock. And, um, you know, B.B. was, uh, you know, as a person the same way that he was as a bass player. He, you know, he did not waste anything. He didn't waste words. He didn't waste uh, space. He played exactly precisely what a tune needed and uh, one of my favorite examples here about that is if you listen to one of their you know war was known for them long jazz stretched out tracks you know absolutely and, and on the world is a ghetto which we're, we're definitely going to talk about that song too but on another cut called city country city that goes on for like <laughs> 13 minutes yes. you know the bb's just in there solid boom 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 do, 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 do. and he and he just sits in that pocket and charles miller and howard scott and lonnie get to take these incredible solos and he has that bottom locked they didn't have to worry about jack <laughs> hey
0: uh-huh. right.
1: bb was something else man and um um i mean i could just go on and on man the world is a ghetto was was wars i mean they had done two albums with eric Burden and, and then just for some background, and then uh, they split with Eric Burden, and they did, uh, you know, their first album on their own, which was simply called War, and then they did All Day Music, and then they The World is a Ghetto.
0: Which... Hey, can you tell us a little bit about Eric Burden, uh, where, how that connection formed? Because uh, Eric was there before BB. am I correct? Mm, well, Eric Burden
1: saw war at a, well, they weren't even called war at that time. I think they were called Night Shift right uh, and they were playing at a, a club in la and they were backing up beacon jones the the football player who moonlighted as a you know kind of r b review uh singer yeah that's and, that's crazy and, yeah you know and um and eric came in with lee oscar um who he had uh befriended uh, a little bit earlier and he saw the band he liked him he had just left his english rock band the animals and he was looking to do something new and that's in a very short, you know, version. You know, I mean, yeah. he, you know, he got up on stage and jammed with them, with uh, the uh, night shift that night. It was a great lock, um, and and he said, "Hey, I want you guys to to be my band." And uh, and you know, it was one of the most unique groups at that time, uh, and even to this day. You know, to have this this English, yeah. very very legitimate, you know, rock and blues singer you know who had a a serious ground he gets he gets much respect in 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 almost the same way that like in later years that tina marie would i don't know if you would you you really didn't say that he was you know it's close not not quite as in the um culture as tina marie was but i guess what i'm saying is that he was he was a truly legitimate uh blues singer with a lot of a lot of attitude and his own very unique thing and his own unique way of singing and his own unique poetic way of writing. Okay. Lyrics and stuff. So, you know, working with war for him was a, a very incredible experience because, they, I mean, again, they became war after, you know, they joined him. And, uh, and, and that band was able to just, you know, uh, take him into some whole other places, you know, uh, and musically. Um, They were a locked unit. It wasn't like he had put together any different musicians from here, there and everywhere. He got a a band that was already well seasoned from playing in in many clubs around Southern California. And, uh, you know, and, and they were very well-versed in, in everything, you know, jazz music, R&B music, blues music, rock music, um, you know, and, uh, and, and they, uh, you know, for two albums, and and I think a couple of tours, uh, or, you know, um, yeah, 1970. I mean, it was kind of a whirlwind time period. That yeah. But what most people know is the song, Spill the Wine. That was the big hit that came out of that. But I would also steer people to listen to that entire album, uh, which was called Eric Burden Declares War. Yes, and then they had a follow-up record, which was a double album set called "The um, Black Man's Burden," which was a bit more eclectic and kind of, you know, not really cohesive, but there's some real gems in there. And for all of you that you know love to go on YouTube, I also very highly recommend that you go check out a some black and white footage of them in Denmark, I believe, doing a "Virgin of Spirit" live. That is double raise the hairs off your skin. You know, oh. Ross Miller takes a, a, a tenor solo on that bad boy, that's incredible. And it's just great to see the band. I mean, War, uh, when I was talking to Howard uh, yesterday and just giving him my deepest condolences and just talking to him as a, as a brother, you know, I, I didn't call him, you know, for anything but to, you know, uh, give him my condolences about BB. Uh, and but he you know he shared a lot with me and I told him that you know there, there's just no band there's no other band like War you know nope. um, from them having Lee Oscar and Charles Miller as their saxophone section which was basically a saxophone I mean as their horn section which mm-hmm. was a saxophone and a harmonica nobody you know there's no other horn section that <laughs> that is like that That's there's true. no other no other band that that did what they did with um, all the different styles of music and, and how hard they represent Southern California and, and mm. the melting pot of cultures we have here, with, with particularly between the Black and Latino right uh, communities. Yep. Uh, but, but always, you know, it, with the mindset and spirit of uniting all. But uh, that's the, the cauldron that they pulled from. They pulled from South American music, African music, African-American music and
0: absolutely uh, and you know in what in of- yeah they were man and uh man that that's some incredible history there. but this is kcwg the truth.com's is called psychotic bum school i'm dj rome we're talking to our good brother mr a scott galloway he's breaking down some war history y'all we're getting some war stories tonight we're paying tribute to the bass player bb dickerson who just recently passed away over easter weekend ladies and gentlemen and scott's just breaking it down for us and Brother, you, you are absolutely right. When I, I think about war and just California, man, how about bands like Santana, who also sort of had a, a, a sort of a mix, a cultural mix of people, of uh, Latin musicians, black musicians, singers. And it's hard for me not to separate those two entities from the early 70s soul, funk, jazz, jazz. Um, mainly i mean just just being able to fuse it into sort of a even a commercial direction to commercialize it in a way to where yeah they had their hits but they had chops too like you were saying with city country city they're in they're just in the pocket and Santana kind of locked in like that on a lot of stuff too so do you ever do you see any correlation between bands like war because they are unique because you know we're talking about bb and i want to stay focused on that but they are unique but do you see any correlation between that that analogy i'm making between those two bands and what that era kind of represented in terms of big band sounds for southern california
1: absolutely i mean you know carlos santana and, and his brothers and family you know from mexico and you know, they they came in and did a, a another very groundbreaking thing. You know, with their fusion of of Latin and rock and Afro Cuban uh, musics, and um, you know, and even some of the, you know the straight up you know Mexican culture and and uh, and pop music. So and blues, you know, um, Carlos loved loved blues, and and as he evolved as a musician, he really began to embrace jazz as well. I mean, he did a he did a really interesting record in the mid-70s called Swing of Delight, where he was playing with Herbie and Tony oh, wow. Williams and Wayne Shorter and and all that stuff. And even before that, he was working with Alex Coltrane. Uh, I mean oh, wow. Carlos is a very expansive musician. And so you're absolutely right. Santana, war, mandrill, Osa I mean, there were oh. several bands in that uh, late '60s into the early '70s era that were, you know, known for bringing you know a a higher level of consciousness and culture to you know the rock platform, which at that point you know had been you know pretty much like English rock bands and American rock bands, you know, doing the festivals and and of course you know Jimi Hendrix. And, and changed uh the uh, oh. shade, shades of all of that
0: yes you know
1: big time and, and for yes. the short criminally short time that he was here um Definitely. but yeah you know and and yeah so and, and i remember i was watching uh one of my favorite uh new podcasts that you can see on on youtube Is a thing called the stick people and it's, it's the drummer's uh circle uh of lenny white from Return to Forever, Greg Enrico of Slying the Family Stone, Uh-oh. Mike Clark of The Headhunters, yes. Michael Shreve of Santana, and I'm missing somebody. There's one other cat, forgive me. Mm-hmm. Um, they they interview different drummers uh, you know, every episode. But you know, they're always talking about how, you know, they, you know, especially up in now what your neck of the woods, Northern California. Uh-huh. There, there was a whole scene, you know, up there, hate Ashbury and, and all where, you know, so many folks were coming together and it was the days of Bill Graham, the great concert promoter who would had the vision to put Jimi Hendrix on the same bill as uh, Santana or to put Santana on the same bill as Miles Davis uh, or put him with Taj Mahal or whatever, you know, to really mix it up so that, you know, everybody was getting uh, exposed to, um, you know, all kinds of, of roots music and the different fusions that came about because of people being exposed to all this different music, not even to mention some of the other clubs that were going on down there. So, yeah, to go back to your original question, yeah, Santana and War and, and, and these bands that were heavily into culture and, and, and heavily into stretching out and improvising and, and not just doing, you know, basic birth chorus, first chorus, bridge kind of tunes, you know, just Uh reaching out and uh, featuring culture and improvisation. It was was an incredible time
0: period. It sure was. And I love how you uh, went there with Carlos Santana and the the people that he played with as he expanded his musical palette, because it's actually, uh, for a long time, people thought that Jimi Hendrix was the main guitar influence over Prince, but Prince said, at some point in an interview, it's like, I actually am more and most influenced by Carlos Santana. And if you listen to the way some of Prince's solos go, they there's you can definitely hear the influence quite a bit. And, yeah, he was
1: very into the melodicism and the long note you know, like mm-hmm. know, kind of approach to guitar soloing that was more Carlos. And Jimmy, you know, who was into a lot of effects and all that. I mean, the prince, prince soaked up everybody. But yeah. I think his his root part, because uh, there are things that he did that were very Jimmy. But, mm-hmm. uh, but I think at the heart root of his soloing uh, approach, you can tell that Carlos was one of his very first and most uh, powerful influences.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, I've been really looking forward to uh, this portion of the conversation with you, uh, good brother. When I was a child, uh, Ace Guy Galloway, a very long time ago, ladies and gentlemen, once upon a time long ago, uh, DJ Rome was a child. <laughs> and <laughs> the, the I had shared in a previous uh, segment, I don't even know if I did it on this show, but the first record label I ever saw in my life, Ace Guy Galloway, was the 20th Century Fox label, the record label. And it was two artists, they were on the same label. And I didn't understand it, but I, I just loved those labels and just watching them turn on the family console when I was a child. The very first album I ever saw was Barry White's. I got so much love to give. And mm. I up one morning it was playing on the family console. And the second one, Ace Guy Galloway, listen to this. The second album I ever saw was Ahmad Jamal's 73. And, All right now. Yeah, and he had a cover, the very first song on his uh, album. I didn't understand music back then, but this is what drew me forever to Ahmad Jamal. He did a cover of The World Is a Ghetto. Mm. And I don't know which one I heard first. I don't know if I heard that version first or Wars version first, but I loved from that day on to this day, I love Amal Jamal and God bless his soul. I believe he's still with us. And Yes, he is point. Yes, sir. And at some point, I know it drew me back to the original with uh, the band who created that gem of a masterpiece. The world is a ghetto and album, one of the best selling, if not the best selling for that time period. So it's got Galloway. Can you tell us about uh, the world is a ghetto and B.B. Dickerson's involvement with that stellar classic piece of work?
1: Oh, man. Well, first. Um, I will say, like I said, um, they, they they had done the two albums with Eric Burden, and they were, you know, making their way into uh, the consciousness, you know, first album, War, you know, really had no hits on it, but it was, you know, their, their first statement without Eric, very uh, solid record, but, you know, definitely the sound of a band that was, you know, kind of, thrown into a situation where they had to try to start figuring out who they were going to be as a band. Uh, you know, second album, All Day Music, they, you know, sharp turn to, you know, definitely Compass Point. They knew where they were headed. You know, that's the album that gave us All, all Day Music and it gave us uh, Slipping in the Darkness um, and Get Down. Those were the three yes. uh, most notable songs from that record. Although, if you ask me, I mean, I I also love Nappy Head, which was a great (laughs) Howard Scott uh, uh, piece, you know, uh, featured him on guitar. He doesn't solo nearly enough for me. You know, he's a very also cat that likes to just be supportive, but when Howard gets to get up front, get out of here. And then also (laughs) uh, a a boogie, straight up boogie piece called Baby Brother, which was the precursor to me and Baby Brother, which came later, but it's just a boogie, song that they did uh, I believe it was recorded live at the Hollywood Bowl and they tore the place up you can nearly close the album with it, it's the one live song on there mm-hmm. <laughs> it's incredible wow. but when they got the world as a ghetto they had they had spent some serious time at I believe Clover Studios is what it's called in uh, down here um, kind of somewhere I think I don't know if it's like Pasadena or something like that they holed up in Clover Studios and they got really knee deep and um you know this was like the you know uh, we're still in in watergate days with with nixon and and uh, um, come on war and and all these different things with vietnam war and and you know black folks still you know uh struggling to come out of the, the civil rights movement and with some dignity and, and forward motion and um BB wrote this song. And a lot of people don't know that he's because again, he, you know, most of the lead vocals and, and stuff in, in war were done by uh, Lonnie Jordan or Howard Scott. And, you know, in those days, if you if you missed him on Soul Train or something, you know, that was it. You did you know, where you would have maybe had an opportunity to see that this particular song was actually sung by B.B. Dickerson and he is the lyricist. And it's wow. such a you know. Wow. That song is hard to describe. I was sitting here, you know, before this interview, man, trying to really figure out how I would describe why this song is so penetrating, because it's the mood and it's just, you know, the statement, the world is a ghetto. It, it's mm. like something that makes you feel like, you know, yeah, the whole world has some really deep unsolved issues, you know, mm-hmm. that are wow. a cloud that's over us all the time. Mm. And, um, and of course, you know, you have a lot of Los Angeles specific uh, references in there, smoggy-eyed, you know, back then, I mean, Los Angeles was, was probably one of the most air polluted cities mm-hmm. in the United States. And yes. All this stuff, you're walking around and you're, it's just the blues that you're feeling, but, but war was always that band that made you feel like whatever you were going through, we were all going through it together. This, but for me and for you, the world is a ghetto and and, and we're gonna get through it. Walking down
0: the street, smuggy eyes.
1: was you know, i called him a prophet when i when when i wrote about him yesterday because that song is just so universal you know sure uh, is specifically done in los angeles but it could refer to, to people in russia right now it could refer to you know right. people in, in africa right now everybody can relate to that message he mm. sang the mess out of it um uh, you just really feel it. And then it dovetails into, again, I said earlier, Charles Miller, one of the truly unsung saxophonist wind men. I mean, he played baritone, tenor, alto, soprano. He played flute. He played, you know, all sorts of wind instruments. But on this one, he plays a tenor solo that will just break your heart. Oh. And um, one thing I I, I also people to pay attention to is that there's one point in the solo where the engineer uh, overlaid another solo that Charles had done so it's like two Charles Millers you know coming at you and if you have a really good sound system you know you hear this inner woven saxophone solo that goes from it being one brother to two you know hmm. and uh, it's, it's just such a such a deep piece sure it's uh, yes. You know, my, my father used to play it all the time. And, and and the last thing I'll say is that for me, man, like you talk about childhood memories. Oh. We moved to L.A. when that album came out. I I previously I was born in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and then we moved to Rialto, California, when I was three, and then we moved to L.A. And um, while we were in Rialto, my parents had gotten a copy of the Eric Burden Declares War album, which is a very deep album. And I was already been listening to that. But when we got to L.A. is when the, war, the World is a Ghetto came out. And we had a tree in the front yard of our house at that time that I used to climb up. I mean, I, I've, I've always loved music, Rome. <laughs> so it's like, it's like I'm seven or eight years old and i recorded the world is a ghetto on a cassette tape. And I took my little portable cassette player ah. up in the tree and my favorite song to listen to looking out. Cause when I, when I climbed up the tree, I could see like Hollywood in front of me and downtown LA mm-hmm. to the right of me. And, you know, uh, whatever's to the left, kind of like some of the Valley stuff, Westwood couldn't see the ocean quite, but mm-hmm had this panorama and um, I would, I, you know, particularly as the sun was going down and I saw the cars going up into Hollywood and I would sit there and listen to that song and just wonder about what being grown up would be like, what it would be like to go out into the night and just explore everything, you know? And that's just has the, the vibe that, that really takes you inside and, and makes you introspective, makes you kind of, Long for things to be better, wow. and my goodness, man, BB mm. wrote it. He wrote that. He sang it, and I, I think you know, uh, uh, you know, again, incredible bass player. I mean, you think about Galaxy, think about Low Rider. You just think about all the different classic bass lines from mm-hmm. the music of War. But I still think that the shining diamond of what he contributed to that band and to the of black genius, as Layla Hathaway and well, actually Donny Hathaway said, was that song The World is a Ghetto. Everybody can listen to that song.
0: Sure can. I mean, wow. I told you, y'all, we're we going to get some war stories tonight. That is incredible. Scott, I looked for footage after, after I discovered from looking at your posts that it, it was BB who sang lead on that song. See, this this is the kind of thing, ladies and gentlemen, that you just don't know. Like the shock that I, uh, when I found out that Charles Wright and the Watson Hunters Third Street Rhythm Band, uh, "Loveland" was not sung by Charles Wright, it was sung by the drummer James Gatson. That blew In my love. mind. That blew my mind, and this blows my mind just as much. B.B. Dickerson, the bass player, wrote and sings lead on "The World Is a Ghetto." All this time, I thought it was either Lonnie. Actually, I thought it was Lonnie all this time, Scott. And I Lonnie was the people did. Yeah. And I'm looking for I was looking for clips of B.B. singing live. I was like, okay, there's got to be a Soul Train clip here somewhere. Maybe I just haven't looked hard enough. But I was looking for a Don Kirshner rock concert. I was trying to see if I could see this and I couldn't. And I'm like, how did Scott find this out? But if you're talking to Howard Scott, um, I guess that's one way to tell. Didn't you say something about a a documentary that they put out as well? Do they cover this story? Oh, That's listen, you, a, you have to, yeah, you got to go back and look
1: at my thread again. Um uh, First of all, like I said, War was truly one of my very, very first favorite bands. Yes. So as I got into the industry and, and everything, you know, I made it a mission to uh, to meet them. And, you know, and I, I did. Mm-hmm. I, unfortunately, by the time I met them, um, Charles, of course, had already, you know, he was murdered, actually. Yeah. Charles was murdered in in the uh late 70s Mm stabbed death over some a very strange situation there's actually a a book about war that's out it's very problematic it was not very well written there's a lot of good information in it if you know what i'm saying i mean sometimes books can can be kind of poorly done but there's still be a wealth of information in them Mm -hmm. that is the case with the book about war and i'll try and 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 find the title of it before we get off okay. um but yeah so i met them and and um i interviewed them several times you know individually collectively um i i i was, I was saying i didn't meet papa d either but um mm-hmm. i think i saw him in concert
0: uh with them a couple of times but didn't meet him. okay um wait okay so i've gotten off track what were you what was the question <laughs> well, it was like how did you find out it was bb singing lead on that song? can't. from interviewing them and, and when I
1: interviewed them, he was still alive and I got a, a whole vibe from him on that. But what you gotta do is uh, on YouTube now, you can just you know pull up war, the world is a ghetto. And there's a, a, a my a new friend of mine, a very, very good cat, man. I think his name is Daniel Mesa, M-E-Z-A. He started a very in-depth, uh, uh, video documentary about war. And as I was saying earlier, because of the original producer and owner of the trademark, you know, they've had a hard time getting that, uh, you know, being able to do anything with that documentary. I think he had it up on mm-hmm. YouTube. You know, the okay. actual documentary was up on YouTube. I'm going to tell you about that in a second, too. It mm-hmm. was up for a minute, you know, and then they had to take it down. You know, you just want to show it to people. And of course, as soon as it went up, I... The spirits guided me and I kind of stumbled on it while I was up there. I looked at it, it blew me away. I got in contact with Daniel and we've become very good friends. But within that documentary, the very first piece of music that they show you, a live version of lowrider band performing the world as a ghetto and yeah. Rome, man. Mm. <laughs> happy easter to you because Thank when you, you go and look at that video um it, it's gonna blow you away it, it's um wow it the, that song alone and, and 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 you see the documentary the way daniel did it is the, the documentary just starts cold you know it does not start with credits or anything that it starts cold with somebody interviewing bb and he's talking very vehemently and he's pissed off about um, like some of the kind of things that I was talking about earlier how the band is just so unsung people don't really a lot of people don't really understand their depth um, and he was very um, kind of suspicious of certain people that were in their camp at the time you know so he's kind of coming from a who's really down Who's really down with us with our message? I don't know about you over here. I mean, and he just, you know, you over there, you, you are right, but you, I'm not sure about you. You know, DB mm. was, you know, he did not hold his tongue, you know, mm. and uh, he was kind of that hardcore, one of the hardcore spirits of the group. And you know, he, um, I'll put you in touch with the, the the band at some point so you can actually talk to them if you want yeah, to. Talk, oh
0: man, that kind of that
1: was- stuff. But it's because um, I don't really feel like I can go much further uh, without feeling very uncomfortable about it. Because, you know, um, you know, BB, no. you know, was, was a special cat. Absolutely. <laughs> and and especially coming from where you're coming from with, you know, psychotic school and, and your very deep analysis of, of issues as they pertain to psychology and, and all of that. Well, I appreciate you know, that. Um, he 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 was different, you know, and and he was the first member to leave the. Yeah, yeah on so his
0: like own I plan. was
1: saying that BB was the first to leave. He he left of his own accord. Charles was murdered. BB left, and um and you know he he wouldn't stand for things. You know he he was very sensitive uh, about war and their legacy and what they stood for, and. Um, you know, mm. not long after the point when, when B.B. left the group is when they kind of went into this very questionable period where they became War, the music band, this is when they did their disco mm. tune, um, Good Good Feeling, and, you know, some other things that were just really not yeah. you know, in the spirit of where War was originally coming from. Right.
0: Uh, yeah, so... Right. Well, you, you've, given us some, you, you've given us a lot, good brother. And yes, I would love that link up because this band is incredible. Uh, this is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're chopping it up with the good brother, A. Scott Galloway, coming out of Easter weekend. Talk about Easter eggs, ladies and gentlemen. Ace Scott Galloway has given us some Easter eggs about the band War. Uh, we're celebrating the life and music of this stellar, stellar contributor to this band, uh bb dickerson uh made his transition over easter weekend uh passed away y'all bass player uh, holding it down in the in the grand fashion of understated bass players like uh my man marshall and the ohio players or or even paul jackson of the headhunters like we were talking about before the interview started just cats who were just really solid super super solid laying down that groove and holding it down you know, and I'll even go as far as to say as Robert Cool Bell in the early days of Cooling the Gang. How about Cordell Mo- Boogie Masson of Parliament Fuckadelic? Just holding it down, not p- popping and slapping. And, you know, we love that stuff, too. Don't get it twisted. We love us some Lewis Johnson. Don't get it twisted. Man. Everybody
1: ain't it. able. That's why some people do the traditional line and other.
0: Out- yes. Yes. Lewis Very solid. Yeah. Woo, yeah yeah but you got to give it up for bb though but uh yeah. before we let you go man um th- this is this is great um i had the privilege one time in my life probably back in 2005 i had shown up to the backstage of the temple bar i was working there at the time shouts out to louie and uh, of the great temple bar in uh west la santa monica area i believe um i was uh Getting there early on a Saturday before the live performance for the night, and as I was locking back up, there was somebody. Excuse me, as I was pulling up, there was somebody that was knocking on the back door of the venue, and it looked like he had knocked for the last time because he was heading down the steps at that time, and then he ran into me, I said, "Hey, how you doing? Uh, did you need anything?" And I told him, "You know, I work here and whatnot," and he said, "Hey, I'm Lonnie." I was like, "Oh snap! Uh, this is Lonnie Jordan," and they were playing a gig that weekend. So he was there early to do a sound check, real gentlemanly cat, man. And, um, I love this band. So, uh, before we let you go, uh, I know there's some things that are, you know, kind of somewhat sensitive, uh, but can you give us, even if it's just the commercial version of what's out there, as far as what, what is the, the issue between the, the band, uh, cause Lonnie stayed with the Jerry Goldstein, Eric Burden, uh, name war but yeah. the, the the other guys comprised the nucleus and sort of the 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 heartbeat if you will of you know the lowrider band that represents the guys that really made the music in the first place uh can you share a little bit about how much you know and how much you can share about what's happening between them and lonnie jordan
1: uh you know lonnie uh was the baby of the group he was the youngest member. Um, and um and keyboardists in general, um, in, in RB bands tend to be the ones that have the most uh kind of uh traditional musical acumen, you know, because they play keyboards and and all that, they they, you know, if you think about Chris Jasper or Larry Dunn mm. or Kevin Tony or Bernie Worrell, you know, a lot of times the keyboard is the guy in the band that has the most you know, kind of musical acumen, and Lonnie also being the youngest, I imagine. You know, um, this is this is truly just me intuiting now. This is not fact. This is not anything. This is my intuition about things. Okay. You know, I'm sure over the years, you know, um, you know, he kind of had to deal with a, a, a lot of different things because everybody else in the band was older, and and uh, and and whatever could have transpired, as you could imagine. With that dynamic within a band situation and decisions and all of that. And he's also, you know, like you said, very gentlemanly. His personality is a fun guy. You know, I like money a lot. Um, but um, and the you know the other guys in war, I mean, you know, like I said, they, you know, they're from, you know, Around here, around the way, man. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they, were, yep. they, were, they were you know relatively rough customers. It's funny, you know, Digital Underground. Ah. Digital Underground has a song called It's a Good Thing That We're Rapping. And I think that you might you mm. know <laughs> some of that would work. <laughs> I don't know, man, but right. I, I digress. Right. But anyway, yeah, Lonnie was the one that, you know, I guess was most amenable to like, you know, yeah, I'll stay here because Jerry had to have somebody from the original band to actually, you know, to 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 really be able to make it work the fact that he still had the name and and all of that so Lonnie you know uh went with him and the other guys were rebels and said no you know we're not staying under these conditions or we don't like you know whatever's going on with you know him controlling everything and us not getting you know everything that we deserve whether it be money whether it be credit whether it be all power whatever uh for whatever reason Lonnie you know, went and the other guys did not. You know, and now that he's the only Lonnie, he's the only guy w- it, with the unit called War. You know, obviously, you know, you know, he's the captain of the ship now. You know, <laughs> so right. you know, he gets to run things, and that is my kind of uh, just very, yeah, very intuitive version of what it is. The fellas can tell you a lot more about absolutely.
0: It makes sense, uh, and, and I have
1: talked to them extensively about that stuff. But I, I would rather you really get it from them. the other detailed stuff, but I do want to share something because you you just blew me away talking about the Temple Bar because that's ah. where I, with you know, I've known Low Rider Band and those guys for several years, um, and I think uh, they were the last, if not the second to the last group to play Temple Bar before it closed. Mm to visit them and hang out with them backstage and and everything and do you know that they invited me to introduce them stage that night
2: Ooh, nice.
1: I, I wish to god somebody had recorded it um i, I don't I, I don't i think cell phones were around but um
0: they were I, you know, they certainly
1: they certainly weren't like what they are now Right. uh, But, you know, I tried to really get into that vibe and 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 I asked everybody to know where are you from? You know, where are you from? You know, how about you? You know, all of us here in Los Angeles come from different places. And, you know, I, I, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I kind of did this thing and I was just talking it up. And next thing I know, I'm hearing, you know, little rumblings of congas and drums and keyboard player holding the note on the organ and mm. <laughs> you know uh, howard you know do, you know and uh it was just in and i you know of course i said okay you know everybody you know put your hands together and this is the real war you know Low Rider band you know? <laughs> oh my god man it was yeah. such, a, such a great moment man um, those man. guys are so cool to me they're so nice to me and they embraced me and it was Like I said, from me climbing up that tree, listening, the world as a ghetto and really connecting with it to a moment like that where they said, I mean, I had no idea. We're just backstage, you know, chopping it up and they just dropped it on me. Hey man, would you like to introduce us on the stage tonight?
0: (laughs) Wow. Greatest honor. You know what I'm saying? Oh man. Okay, so I'm definitely gonna have to share this with Louie and Nettie now. Uh, Shouts out again, Louie and Nettie uh, for creating that amazing, what I call the amazing, most greatest three-headed hydra in the underground club scene was Temple Bar, Zanzibar, also in Santa Monica, and Little Temple. A. Scott Galloway, I got one for you now. All right, mm. we're talking about B.B. Uh, Dickerson and war, ladies and gentlemen. We're sharing some war stories, and uh, Ace Scott Galloway just breaking it down. But that stage story just took me somewhere, and I have never, ever, ever shared this story ever. Ever. <laughs> i it
1: down. Eva.
0: man, it is. Um, we had at the time of those Temple Bar days when I met Lonnie Jordan, I uh, also wrote the copy for the the um, weekly sort of newsletter that would go out in an email blast to let people know what bands were performing, performing for the week. And I invested a lot of time, effort and energy into it, make it look really colorful and with some dazzling what I consider to be some really uh, eloquent wordplay. And it got the attention of um, these two wonderful women, uh, Shelly Otto, if I'm saying her name correctly, and Monica. I can't remember her last name right now, but she was formerly uh, the lead vocalist of the group Terry and Monica. She's currently the wife of Too Short, Bay Area Oakland rapper. What? Uh, Terry
1: from Terry and, and Monica no. is married to Too Short?
0: Well, Monica is, yes. Monica?
1: Oh, my God. I love yes. it. It's a whole nother. Those two records that they did, they're two Man. albums. Priceless.
0: Come on. Come on. Priceless. So, Monica and Shelly uh, had uh, reserved a night at Little Temple over in Silver Lake. If you remember Little Temple, it's called The Virgil yeah. now. It's called The yeah. Virgil now. And so, they had the good fortune uh, to book George Clinton and the Sea Conspiracy at the Little Temple. So C Conspiracy mm-hmm. was sort of based upon I think the the children of production at the time. Okay. And they were touring under that moniker. And so they saw what I wrote up in terms of, okay, we got George Clinton coming to Little Temple. That was a big effing deal. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to, have, to have George play and P funk play at the Little Temple. And you know, Lonnie's no slouch either. Don't get don't get it twisted. The Lowrider band is n- no slouch. So if they're playing at temple bar before they shut down that's a big freaking deal okay oh yeah oh, so yeah. They, they so, so you're going. saying
1: that you saw war which is lonnie and and his band
0: i met so yeah let me make sure i got that clear i met lonnie backstage the night mm-hmm. that lowrider band played that you're talking about i did not see that one okay
1: yeah i know these are two different nights but so you're saying war played temple bar no or did lonnie play temple bar lonnie. as a
0: solo? Yeah, Lonnie and he had a different outfit at the time, and I don't think he was going by war. It was Lonnie and I'll have to look it up.
1: He did he did an album called War Stories. He did a solo record where he re yes. recorded some of the war tunes, and he has some new songs and some covers and it was right. a really nice record. I, I yes.
0: love Lonnie. Yeah, yeah, Lonnie Lonnie's a cool cat, man. But Monica and Shelley saw what I wrote up for George's appearance at The Little Temple. And they came upstairs at the temple bar where I was working in the office. And I believe it was Shelly. In fact, I know I know it was Shelly. So shouts out to Shelly. She said, hey, you know, Monica and I were talking about, you know, we were going to introduce George, but we were thinking who would be a good person to introduce George? He said, hey, how about Rome? (laughs) They they asked me to introduce George Clinton and the sea conspiracy at the little temple on the stage. So here I go, man. See, this is the part of some people know that already, Scott. Mm-hmm. but nobody knows this part all right you ready for this part break it down but this is how naive i was because i was sitting in my car nervous sweating bullets and by the way before i continue my good brother uh al jackson my brother he just passed away uh, unexpectedly uh january 9th good friend of mine my brother my soul uh he also was booked that night to be the dj that night And so he was already inside, I'm pretty sure. So we were both booked for the same gig. He was the DJ. I was the MC to bring Mm -hmm. George out. So before I got inside the club, you know, parking was terrible. So I I believe I was parked on Santa Monica Boulevard next Mm -hmm. to near Vermont. And I'm sitting out on the street, Scott. I'm like, dang, I'm, you know, this is George. I got to come with it. I got to, I got to do what I do. Because back in the day, I used to do this thing called funk lore. I would, you know, my, I, I have this little Uncle Funk sideshow thing that I do sometimes. And um, I would write out P-Funk, what I call funk lore, because, you know, Pedro Bell was a beast. You know, I, I thought all that was George growing up, but that was Pedro Bell, you know, mm-hmm. writing all that comic and those crazy storylines and liner notes and, you know, comic book stories, with Star Child versus Sir Nose. you know, that was Pedro Bell, okay? And so I was really into that. And I'm like, man, I, I got to come with it. So I was, Scott, I'm sitting in my car knowing I'm about to go on stage in a few minutes. And I'm like, I got to impress George. <laughs> right. And I was like, because I, I intentionally, I remember what I wore. I wore the most beat up pair of blue jeans I had. They had a big rip in it and like the middle of my kneecap and leg was exposed because I was like, I'm coming funky. This is George. I had my black hat on that night. And I'm sitting in the car, man. It's like, man, I got to come with it. And I said, well, wait, 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 wait. I'd be a doggone fool if I think I'm going to outdo George, number one, which you can't do, No. and just go up there and just show the love, bro. Just show the love. So I goes on stage. Uh, Monica actually brought me to the stage because she was sitting off to the side. And right next to her was Mike Clip Payne. I believe he was there that night and definitely gary scheider was there wasn't wearing a diaper that night <laughs> he was good he was fully dressed he didn't Thank wear the you. diaper that night and i think um maybe uh rob bacon was was on the guitar on the other side of the stage but i was on the side where monica was and she's like hey roma's time come up she said come up to the stage and here i am on stage next to clip and um gary scheider
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i just say hey y'all are y'all ready and they were like yeah they said are y'all ready yeah and so i'm like okay cool because i haven't taken a shower for weeks looking forward to this show and they cracked up i was like okay i got them so let me get off the stage before i mess it up now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> i just started rolling through their hits this is the band that did chocolate city and up for the downstroke and here they are george clinton and the sea conspiracy and i was out All right. Best night of my life <laughs> Please. Yeah. And so I didn't have a chance to meet George himself that night, but I backstage after the performance, uh, they were all kind of loading in, you know, just chopping it up outside. I I went and uh, I think I was saying goodnight to Monica or whatever. And George was right there next to me. Uh, I didn't have the guts to extend my hand to say, hey, how you doing? And, you know, I I probably should have. But, you know, just to be that close, I was within inches of George Clinton, inches. And uh, he never knew who I was uh, to this day. He doesn't know. Uh, but he, what he doesn't know, that that was one of the best nights of my life, man. So to, to hear your story about introducing the Lowrider Band, it just brought all that back. And, you know, again, shouts out to my brother Al Jackson. Get emotional when I talk about it because we just lost him. He was the DJ that night and I was on stage as the MC. And, you know, just a great debt of gratitude is owed to Louie Ryan and Nettie Ryan for creating those establishments that created those moments for both you and I, Scott. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, man. Uh, much respect and and uh, acknowledgement to to them. You know, yes. I, I miss I miss a lot of that. And, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see the landscape of uh, nightclubs and things uh, once COVID lifts. You know, mm. there's a lot of places that that uh, are not around, but there's also going to be some brand new spots. Um, I'll tell you another yes. story another time about something that I witnessed um, a couple of Fridays back. Mm. And, how the young people get down these days i was like okay um but yeah and, and while you were talking i looked up that book and so i told you there's a book about yes. war and it's called slipping out of darkness Story of war yes. and it's by uh the author is bob ruggiero r-u-g-g-i-e-r-o mm. so uh, like i said i i was not um impressed with the uh way how the book was written, but there is still nevertheless a lot of really good information in there, some great quotes, things that they pulled from old articles and things um, that had been done on war. So. Um,
0: nice you know
1: for, for the fans that want to check it out
0: absolutely hey like i said we're coming out of easter weekend Ace scott galloway's got the easter eggs ladies and gentlemen well that is absolutely beautiful uh we're talking to Ace scott galloway and we're just chopping it up with some war stories and some california stories and just funk stories man i mean war man one of the best bands uh just just thinking about that era just war cooling gang santana brass construction man drill like you said i mean all those were on uh well not all of them but three of those five or six i just mentioned were on united artists and it was just such a great era man so bb dickerson to his families and loved one and friends rest in paradise man and uh go on up there and play some jams with uh brother charles and uh we'll all see you when we get papa d allen papa d yes sir yes sir
1: yes they're they're, they're waiting with with his wings man yeah Um, man the whole down situation, you know, because it's going to be, I'm sure it's a, it's a beautiful reunion.
0: Well, that's our show y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet. At the intersection of funk and soul, my name is DJ Rome, and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to thank our very special guest for the evening, Mr. A. Scott Galloway. Also want to send a very, very special shout out to the good brother, Mr. Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.